You're listening to SaaS Acquisition Stories, a podcast featuring the stories from both startup founders and buyers who have successfully gone through an acquisition process using MicroAcquire, the number one startup acquisition marketplace in the world. To date, MicroAcquire has helped hundreds of startups get acquired and has facilitated hundreds of millions in closed deal volume. Here's your host, Andrew Gazdecki. All right. I am super excited for this one. I'm here with the man, the myth, the legend, Kevin McArdle, the founder of Church of Capital. I don't really think he needs an introduction, but uh, by far one of my favorite uh, private equity firms in the space or holding company, whatever. You, how would you describe Church of Kevin? Yeah. So I we prefer the term holding company and i like to steal from one of my friends brent Bishore, put in his annual letter um something that resonates with us too he says calling us a private equity firm is like calling an ostrich a bird while factually correct it doesn't really fit the spirit of the word so technically we're a private equity firm but most of what people know about pe which is buy load with debt strip out expenses and then flip to the next highest buyer we don't do any of that um we don't plan to liquidate our funds so you know i just prefer software holding company nice so how many um companies have you acquired up to this point 46 over the last seven years how are as you of hold- recording how are you holding up that's insane <laughs> <laughs> um so uh, I've got a great team. Like there have been points where the wheels kind of felt like they were coming off the car because we either acquired too fast or we didn't hire fast enough or you know made some mistakes in acquiring and then that that doesn't feel good. Um, and actually, so we we started very small. Our size of check has risen over the last seven years, and we're currently operating, I think, thirty businesses. So we've sold some of the smaller ones. We've sold some ones that didn't work out. And most importantly, we started to divest. Right now, we're squarely focused on bootstrapped B2B SaaS. And early days, we acquired some things that didn't fit that before we decided to like focus on that niche. So we have divested some businesses to provide more focus. But 30 is still a lot to be operating. And the secret is just, I've got a wonderful team who manages the day-to-day of each portfolio company. Nice. And I guess, um, you know, how did you get into all this? Like, what made you wake? Um, did you just wake up one day and say, hey, I want to acquire 50 plus companies? Like, how did, how did this happen? I wish I was that insightful. Um, no, I, I had spent 15 years in corporate America at a company called Cerner, which is a software company, but gigantic. Um, when I started it was 3,000 people and 300 million in revenue, so already quite big. And then 15 years later, when I left, it was 20,000 people and I think 5 billion in annual revenue. So night and day different from what I'm doing now, but I, I share that with you to give some context to like, all I know about business is the software industry. And I got to do sales and, and leadership and management and run development teams and customer success teams and all got to do just about everything in a software company, except for write code. Cause I'm not a, I'm not a developer. Um, and that was a great long run of a career. I was super happy as a great company to work for. And I was just ready to do something else. Um, along the way I went and got an MBA and realized that entrepreneurs, you know, yourself excluded are not necessarily like geniuses or, 
you know, the hardest working people in the world or like have some heroic talent. They just like maybe see the world a little differently than other people, a little bit higher risk tolerance, a little bit harder worker. And yeah, I just realized like I could do that. And so I had always dreamed of owning my own business, but never had um, the right idea. And so I was kind of getting a little burnt out in my career, even though I love the company. I had always dreamed about owning my own business. And then, you know, met and got to know somebody who later became my business partner who had this idea of let's acquire profitable internet-based businesses. And that's really as sophisticated as the idea was seven years ago. Since then, as I've said, we've kind of refined it. Um, but it was, a, it was the type of idea that fit a lot that I needed, which was, you know, independence, bet on myself, chance to make money, but also like I have actually a pretty low uh, financial risk tolerance. So when, when we started to refine the idea and say, okay, we're just going to buy things that are already profitable. So we're not burning cash. Like as long as we run it as well or better than the founder did, everything should be fine. And so that was like a less risky thing for me because leaving a 15 year career already carries with it, you know, some, some, you know, personal and financial risk. So just a lot of things colliding all at the right time and place. Nice. Well, I can guarantee you, you were much smarter than me. I, uh, I graduated Chico state. Uh, we call it Harvard of the West. I don't know if you've heard of yeah. it. Oh yeah. Everybody talks about Chico state as the Harvard of the West. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a total party school. And I, yeah. I graduated, I graduated with a 2.07 GPA. And I believe that's the lowest recorded graduating GPA. <laughs> The it's the, we'll These save get degrees, man. That's yeah. no, I'm curious. I, I've heard I know a lot of your story, but did you get right? It you jumped right in entrepreneurship, am I right? Yeah, so I, I, I've been an entrepreneur like my whole life. I did the cliche eBay store stuff, I sold like, um, this is embarrassing, but like Bean Babies, World of Warcraft, like characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd go on um, eBay and I'd look for like misspellings. I'd buy it and resell it at a higher price margin. And then I moved into web design for like local bands at my high school. And then, uh, yeah, I started a company in college. Um, I knew I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur just kind of from the get-go. I was, you know, really fortunate to really find my passion early like I just love businesses like I, I nerd I get nervous when I meet like a founder of like a really successful company but if it's like an athlete I'm like whatever like yeah so you weren't at Chico State to for the education you were there because it's not like whatever whatever grade you were getting in your U.S. history class was even less relevant than for most people because you knew you were already on the right path right did you ever consider just like dropping out completely because what's the point or then you don't uh, no, get invited to the party. No, because I I needed the financial aid to pay rent. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so that was my whole plan going in. I was like, all right, I got five years to figure this out. Or actually, it started with four years. Um, but then I started a company called Business Apps. It was like a do-yourself, no-code, mobile app builder. And that started to really take off my senior year. And so I went a fifth year. And the irony is I took a minor in entrepreneurship didn't go to any of the classes and i remember i would show up to some of the classes just to play around with the teachers and be like hey guys i just want to let you know again 
uh, I'm not going to be able to attend. I have a business that I am uh, currently working on, but uh, have fun uh, learning how to run a business. And the teacher yeah, loved it. Professor. The teacher loved it. He was like, that's what. So um, Chico State does have a pretty good um, entrepreneurial um department and i i'm forever grateful for them but um anyway story for uh for another time but um my uh my next question would just be um you know you look at i i how many deals you look at like a month yeah we actually uh you must not be well let me back up hundreds and we actually document it for our investors like just i they think they like the notion of like, okay. And it's like by month. So in, uh, you know, recording in February, we just put out a letter for everyone that says in January, we looked at X number of deals and let's, it was probably 153 or something like that. The, you know, the only ones that made it through the first filter were these 30 and we're down to like actual investigation on these five and two may have a chance of going to a letter of intent. So we actually publish all that for our investors. So how do you evaluate those startups? Like what's kind of like your sweet spot in terms of like what gets it over the finish line? Yeah. So from like top of funnel down, you know, it's, it's gotta be SaaS. It's gotta be profitable. We like writing checks between one and $10 million. So those are three pretty quick filters. If you're too small or too big, if, you know, we still get inbound interest from people trying to sell like digital marketing agencies and, I, I love that. You can see it's super healthy business. There's nothing wrong with running an awesome digital marketing agency. It's just not something we would buy. Um, and so then you start looking at more of the details of like, okay, what, what niche is it in? Is it something we understand? Is the, you know, we're pretty tech stack agnostic, um, which other people have criticized me is like, oh no, you should niche into just one thing. So you can hire all the developers for, for that thing. And while I understand that strategy, that would have limited the number of things we could buy. And then you're kind of tied to a stack, which I, I don't really want to be tied to a stack. Um, we're industry agnostic. Then you just get into the sort of business fundamentals. Like, is it a market we like and that we can understand? And is it something that we think can continue to grow? Um, is there a team that's there? Not, and that's not a, a yes or no criteria. It's just like, what value do we place on this thing? If it's a solo founder with no team and no plan, and if they're gone, you know, the business is hosed, well, that, that's a problem. But if it's somebody, a founder who's built up a team and they're ready to step out, then that adds value to the business. Um, yeah, and just the usual. I mean, beyond that, there's not a lot of um, secrets or, uh, you know, special sauce, Andrew. It's just like, is, is it a healthy business that we want to own forever? Um, and, you know, that's the typical questions that MicroAcquire guides people on. Yeah, that's usually like, I hate the question of like, my SaaS business is making 50K a month. What is it worth? And there's so much variability into that. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, like, what are your customer count? Like quality of customers, churn, market, uh, quality of team, quality of code. Um, like my answer to that would be, it's somewhere between zero and $5 million. <laughs> it's so, like... <laughs> I, I always say my my answer to that is like that's kind of like asking what's how much does a car cost like is it a Ferrari yeah. is it a you know uh, or is it on state? blocks in the front yard yeah, yeah. It, like there's so much variability um so that that's a great answer I guess 
Moving to um, uh, another question I, I'd love to ask you is, um, what's um, your favorite acquisition that you've done at uh, SureSwift? And then I want to know also um, uh, your favorite microquire acquisition, if you're willing to share that as well. Uh, yeah, I'll sh- well, I'll share both, but I don't like the word favorite and it's, you, you know, like, you got a lot of kids, so you can't pick a favorite. Yeah. I, I also, t- I was trying to think of a different example because I actually have children and I don't like comparing businesses that I own to my children. Cause there's like a, yeah, I love no, my children way more than any of our businesses, but yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to pick a favorite because there's things to like about all of them Two two that are, are cool stories. Let me put it that way. We own two sister companies. Uh, one is called Mail Parser. One is called Doc Parser. Uh, and we, they were created by the same founder. His name is Moritz Dowsinger. And we tell the full story on our blog if people want to learn more about it. But um, part of what I love about those businesses, is it's been a really successful acquisition. Like that's, you know, it's hard to love a business where you're losing money or it's a failure. And we've had some of those too. Uh, so it's been a big success story. We bought them separately. So we bought MailParser first and DocParser existed and Moritz was working on that. And I tried to wrap both into the same deal. And Moritz was like, no, no, I'm not selling DocParser because it's going to be worth more someday. Mm-hmm. And so um, we worked into the contract like a first writer refusal you know, agreement where like if he'd wanted to sell DocParser, he was obligated to at least let us know. But the, the cool part of the story is like we, we became friends. We stayed in touch. We had been operating MailParser for I think like a year and a half. And Moritz and I were just talking on the phone. And it was sort of like, he, he said, he's like, Kevin, I think we both know how this ends. Like, you're going to want to acquire Doc Parser because it's, it's going to be just as successful as Mail Parser. And he's like, I'm going to want to sell it to you because the first transaction was a home run for everybody. But he's like, the longer I held on to it, the more valuable it's going to get. And like, so, you know, kind of what do we do? And I'll skip to the end of the story. We worked out a deal that was like really good for both parties. He left really happy. He's on to now his third, actually his third project that I know about. He's got other startups that predated MailParser. Um, we're super happy. We've been able to create jobs for now, like 15 people. And it started with like, you know, two and a half. And so just a home run all around. And, and the, my, my favorite part, I just saw Moritz in October in Mexico City. And we we're just like laughing and sharing a beer. And like, he's become a friend. And so like from every angle, it's just a wonderful deal. Do you know what I mean? Especially the yeah. personal connection. That, and just about every other business that we have, there, there's something missing from the story that I just told you. Not like We've done a lot of really good deals where we're tight with the founders and everybody's happy, but not quite to that degree of like awesomeness stacking on top of itself. Nice. And from a um, and so that was long before micro require ever existed, except for maybe in your head. I've I've heard that I've actually read that story, and when I read it, I was like, "That is badass." Have you? Yeah, cool. It's, I'm, yeah. I'm glad you saw it because um, I follow him on uh, Twitter as well. Yeah, well, and you you missed out on uh, Founder Summit. You would have been sitting at a table with us having a beer, but you had to you had to bail at the last minute. Remember? Yeah, that was the, get, that was why we were together. Yeah, I would have given you COVID. Uh, <laughs> yeah okay I, I forgot why i figured it was something like that. no i was i was like exposed and i didn't want to risk being in quarantine in a week for yeah. i think it's two weeks or something like that uh but yeah yeah 
Well, there's the, a risk you would have flown down there. Like we tested everybody. And if you were positive, you couldn't get into the event. So um, next time you and me and Moritz can all sit down and have a beer together and tell uh, business stories. Um, but back to your question, uh, again, not my favorite. There's three deals that have at least been listed on microacquire that we have acquired. Um, and I say three that have been listed because one of them, we actually felt pretty good that we were going to get a deal done. And well, I'll just tell you, this one's Meet Edgar. So I don't know if you know Laura Roeder. We just announced that we acquired Meet Edgar uh, a few weeks ago. And I've known Laura for four years and we were kind of in discussion. She reached out to me directly when she was thinking about selling the business. We were talking, doing our diligence, et cetera. And she's like, look, Kevin, I think, I think this has a good chance of us doing a deal, but I have to list it on microacquire just to see if somebody will, you know, come out of the woodwork and overpay, give me a strategic multiple, whatever. And I was like, I totally understand that. Good luck you know, and we'll continue talking. And it ended up, we, I don't, I think, I know she had interest and in offers from Michael Acquire because like who doesn't when you list a healthy business, but um, we ended up doing a, the deal together. And that's another one that I'm super excited about and really think very highly of Laura. Um, but I, I don't count that as like, we didn't find it on Michael Acquire. So I'm not, I'm going to set that one aside. The one that we found on Michael Acquire that is my favorite is Lead Dino. And I don't know if you ever like talked to those guys, but it was uh, the reason why I like that business, not just because it's a super healthy business and, you know, the founders are great people. They went through two processes that fell apart. And I, I think this is part of you, when you and I talked in the early days of microcar, I love that it was focused on founders and helping founders find exits. And these, these three guys, Brett, Mike, and Carson were business partners for, I think like seven years they decided to sell the business for their own reasons that I won't get into. And they had two prospective buyers that had written them letters of intent and the deal went sour. And I can't remember the details or the reasons why we talk about this again, a little bit in the blog, but it's kind of their business, not ours. And they found us, we, well, we found the business through microacquire. We start having a conversation and you could just feel the like stress come out of their shoulders. Once we got out a little bit into the process um, and Mike, who was leading for the three of them, he's a CEO. Once, once we got to a level of trust where we'd had enough conversations, he kind of believed what we were telling him. We liked the business and, you know, kind of broke through that surfacey layer stuff. We're just talking about the, the, the real details. Yeah. He told us that he had been burned twice and it wasn't through their fault. It's not like the buyers found something in diligence that spooked them. It was just bad buyers, like is the easy way to say it. And um, he's just like, I feel so much more comfortable. Like we've been, we've been bitten twice and everybody's spooked that this is going to be an, a third strike. And I don't know if we can handle that as a founding team. So what I like about it is, yes, we've got a great business. We've got a great team that came with it. The founders are happy, but the fact that they went through that turmoil and we provided a safe landing spot for their business. And it, as it's a stressful deal to sell a business, like there's no stress-free event where you're selling a business, but minimize the stress as much as possible. And just let them know, like, look, we got you. We're not those other people. This is going to be a simple, straightforward, honest transaction. Let's, let's get down to business. And that's, that's, that's why that's our, our, my favorite from micro require so far. Nice. I, I, and, and compliments to you also a nice shirt. I'm wearing your swag as well. Yeah. Uh, how do I pull it up? There we go. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> 
Uh, I mean, I've just, I've I've heard so much just good feedback from buyers and in terms of um, Shore Swift and that's, you know, genuine feedback in terms of, you know, Chris on her team. um, I've interfaced Selena. um, Everyone is just fantastic over there. So that doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. And I got one of the nicest emails ever was somebody telling us he's not going to sell his business to us. And he was like, this has been the greatest experience. I've learned a lot. You've been really good to me and my partner. We've decided, I think they decided not to sell, but they may be selling to somebody else, but it was just such a, it was not about me as a compliment to the team. And they were, cause that's what we care about. That's what we try for. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you getting a email from somebody's like the micro acquire experience was perfect. And you know, at the end I sold my business, but I care about the founder experience. And I know I just told you, we look at 150 deals and we might close one. So 149 people are going to have some sort of a sure swift experience that doesn't result in selling their business to us. And I care about all those 149 people too. I want them to have a good experience with us. And um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear you get that feedback too, because we, we work hard at it and we think a lot about it. Thanks. I guess, um, uh, uh, you know, moving on to, you know, ways to help founders, um, any like helpful tips for founders, you know, looking to sell their business, um, this year, like yellow flags or just things to prepare for, like if they were looking to go to market, like if you had to just give, I'm sure you could give like 20 tips, but if you had to pick like maybe the top, like three, um, you know, what, what, what would you tell a founder? Aside from having a great business, we all know that one. Yeah, have a great business is the easiest way to sell <laughs> business. Um, so, I, I, um, like the simple answer is like, be be honest and straightforward. Um, and that and what that means depends on what stage you are. So, like, I I tell founders all the time, it's okay to initiate a conversation or talk to somebody like me who buys businesses, even if you don't intend to sell your business for two years, or even if you think you may never sell your business, right? And at the end of the day, like every business gets sold, right? Or every, every founder leaves their business, whether they sell it or they get put in the ground. So it's okay to have a plan, even if you don't want to exercise that plan for five years. Because I see people at conferences or online or whatever, and it's always this like, well, I'm not ready to sell my business, but how does it work? Explain to me this or that, or like, what happens to the team? You know, we get a lot of the same common questions and I'm just like, that's fine. Like you, don't, but you don't need the preamble of we're not ready to sell, but it's okay to just like ask the question, explore. And so in that, in that stage, being open and honest and forthright, is just like, look, I don't have a whole bunch of diligence stuff. Like we're not going to get into a conversation about like, what's my MRR and my churn or whatever, like just set expectations. Like, I just want to understand how your process works. And I'm not, I'm not looking to sell right now, but I want to be more informed for a year from now. And then if you are like a little bit more serious to where you might want to list on micro acquire, you know, you got to be honest and straightforward, like have your stuff in a pile, you know, like have your self organized, your, your website, Andrew tells everybody the questions that they should expect from buyers. It's not a secret. And if you don't have the answers to those questions, like just wait or get, get those answers written down. Like the, the, the transactions where the founder is ready make everything so much easier. And it makes me more confident that if they know how to come into this conversation, they probably are doing a good job of planning and organizing their business. So that's kind of that middle stage where you 
Yeah. Maybe you're just kind of testing the waters, looking for valuation, but I can't give, like you said, I can't give you a valuation without some sort of information. And me giving you a valuation is not a commitment to buy and you're not committing to sell. It's just a phase in your journey as an entrepreneur. But then when you are ready to sell, be prepared for the full inspection of your business and don't hide anything because we're probably going to find it. Um, and at some point you're going to have to let somebody else look at the code to make sure it's not crumbling. And like, you just got to be prepared for that. And, you know, hiding things or misleading just erodes trust. And it might just mean like we walk away from the deal. So that's kind of just like my advice would be be honest and transparent, but understand what stage of the process you're at to know what level of transparency is important. Yeah, I like that. I think, um, you know, I, uh, I did a lot of those things correctly when I sold uh, business apps, the company we were previously talking about, um, and then incorrectly uh, before I sold it. Like one weird thing that I think a lot of founders do, and I did it too, is where you do this dance of like, we're not for sale at all. But, yeah. but, <laughs> but I'm curious. Yeah. But it's so much easier. And then once I started, you know, building relationships with people in advance, like you just mentioned and saying, look, I'm, I'm going to sell this business at one point in time. I want to keep you updated. And I would update uh, buyers almost like, you know, uh, like you would update um, investors. Like keep them like, hey, we were just featured in this, you know, blog or we just announced this new product launch or here's, you know, kind of how the business is trending. And I would do it, you know, quarterly. And then when the time came to sell, it was, it just cut out a lot of the, you know, like, are you serious? Are you wasting my time? Like, you know, so I think a lot of founders like don't understand, like, it's okay to just say, I'm looking to sell my business. Like, do you want to have a conversation around that? Yeah. And then doing this weird dance, hoping to get some crazy multiple. Um, well, and I also want to like make clear, it's also okay to say, I want to understand the process so that when I am ready to sell my business, I know I understand it better because I'm not ready right now. You know, like, I'm happy to talk to founders all the time, just about like, where are you? Like, what's working? What's not working? Can we help? Do I know somebody else who can help? Like, I'm not saying I only want to talk to people when they're ready to sell, but just know which stage you're at and be honest with the person on the other side of the conversation about where you're at. And then that just sets the tone for like, okay, now I know what conversation we're having. Yeah, I agree with you. I was referring more towards like, we would get inbound requests from like strategics. Mm -hmm. And when I think back, I'm like, I should have handled that. Like, yeah, we're open to a conversation, but it was always like a guarded, like, if you say that, like, you're open to selling, it like devalues you when it really does kind of the opposite sometimes. Um, oh, that's I, a good I, point. I, I like to think of it as like, everything's for sale. And we're on the other end of this, Andrew. So like people, we get inbound interest for our portfolio companies, right? Like really frequently. And my answer is always like, well, we're not planning to sell it, but everything has a price. So like, you know, we, that's, that's me coming into the conversation. Like, I love this business. I'm not looking to sell it. Sometimes we'll just tell people outright, like here, here's our current revenue. If it's less than a 10 X multiple on the revenue, then we're not interested. And that makes it like, here's, you know, my number. And yeah, I know you got to do diligence. Like, can you get to that number or not? But I'm saying like, if that's out of the ballpark for what we're talking about, then let's just not you know, waste each other's time. There's a way to handle it with, and I'm being like super direct in this conversation. I might like massage it a little bit with the actual conversation, but um, yeah, it's totally okay to say like, 
let's have a conversation. Yeah, I agree with that. I guess, you know, a, a follow on to the point I was um, making was just the lack of education in terms of like how to position your business to be attractive. Because, you know, you look at a lot of businesses and when you're talking to a corp dev team or something like that, they are also looking at a lot of businesses and getting inbound requests. And so if you do this weird dance where you're like really held off, at least this is just my experience. Um, it tends to push off the buyer because they can't tell if you're serious or if you're waste, just wasting their time. Um, so I always just like going back to your first point is just being honest. Like, where are you at your stage? What are you looking for? Um, is it advice? Are you looking to sell your business? Are you looking to just kind of, you know, test the waters? Like, where is my valuation at? Um, so that's that's really good advice. And I guess um, any, any anything else you'd add to that? Yeah, I, I, a part of what I love about microacquire is that you know it's intended for founders to help them be successful. And I think at some point of growth or stage of a business, it's part of your obligation as the founder, CEO, whatever title you want to give, to to start thinking about these things. Whether you have investors, you've got a co-founder, you've got a team, or what, even just for yourself personally, this is part of the evolution of being an entrepreneur. You need to understand what it's like to sell a business, even if you're not in the market right now. So it's going beyond what you're saying, Andrew, what I wanted to add is like, it's good to educate yourself. And I'm almost like, you're obligated to educate yourself so that you're ready for that evolution of the business. Because unfortunately, sometimes it comes quicker than we're ready. And we've seen a lot of situations where people are sort of forced to sell a business for one reason or another. And if you haven't at least thought about these things, haven't had a couple of conversations, haven't like documented the things you're going to document, um, you, you're going to sell at a, you know, a discount. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I think back of my, my younger days and I used to just think, you know, getting acquired was like, go daddy showing up with a check being like, Hey, welcome <laughs> to go daddy. Like you were, we're going to acquire you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just understanding, just like, um, you know, the more, you know, about like an acquisition process, the higher your chances, um, of successfully closing a deal. Um, yeah. so I totally agree with you on that. Um, so moving on to just like the final questions, um, we're, so we've had a crazy year in terms of, you know, M and A activity, um, 2022, it's hard to predict the future. Um, any sort of like thoughts on, you know, uh, maybe what's next for sure Swift what's next for the industry, um, upcoming industry trends, like what, what's something that, um, maybe you'd, you'd make a bet on, um, could be a growth goal for sure Swift. It could be, uh, the market, um, just any sort of like unique industry insight that, um, you might expect to play out this year. Yeah. Um, that's a, Tough question. I'm not a gambler, so I don't like making that. <laughs> um, so the, the, the simplest question to answer, because I know the most about it, is like, what's in store for SureSwift? And I, you know, it's been seven years and we've done a whole lot of things wrong. And there's a whole lot of things we can, you know, instill improve upon. That said, like, I'm so confident in our team, our process, where we sit in the market. Um, I, I, I'm like, we are just going to not be distracted. I feel like we are one of the best, if not the best 
company in the world to acquire bootstrapped B2B SaaS businesses between one and $10 million in value, full stop. Let's just do more of that and be even better at that. And by more, it doesn't necessarily have to be more deals, but there's like more of the right deals is all I want to think about. And every, like I said, every once in a while, if something comes in that looks shiny and different and cool and look, would be a wonderful business to own. And I'm like, nope, no distractions. So I think that's what you'll see from us is like nothing super, you know, um, different or, you know, other people might say not that interesting. Uh, we're just going to keep being awesome at what we're already really good at. As far as the market, I mean, you're better to answer that question than me because you just have a different lens and you see it from so many different angles, like founders and, um, you know, buyers and, and, you know, investment vehicles and things like that. Um, I'll tell you, I'll tell you something I worry about. And I, I would I like to get your perspective. If I could turn the, the questions around is part of the greatness of microacquire is it's brought, it's made the process easier for founders. It's made deal flow easier for prospective buyers. Um, and that creates a super healthy marketplace. My concern is that I know there are bad actors in this, well, just in the world, but in, in, in the buying and selling of, of businesses. And I, I worry not for the health of microcar, but like, I don't know, I don't know how to phrase it, Andrew, but like, I worry that that's, there's going to be bumps in the road here as, as our industry continues to evolve. And I'm super bullish, like long-term, but I worry about like short-term that not everybody knows that there's, there's bad actors and not everybody has felt the sting of like doing a bad deal. Sort of like I was listening to somebody talking about um, just investing in general. And we've been on the longest bull run of, you know, your and my lifetimes. Right. And uh, literally have heard investors say, I don't really know what a downturn looks like because I haven't lived through one. And we've, you know, we've had 08 and all this, but like in general, everything's up and to the right. And I worry that in our space, Nobody's seen like a big failure. Not enough people have seen failure. Everybody thinks this is easy. Maybe that's what I, the, the, the simple way to put it. Pe your marketplace, you know, people like us, others documenting, here's how I did it. Here's the success. You buy a great business. You do the right things. That business should continue to grow. And not, there's not enough. It, it almost makes it look easy. And I worry that too many people are going to step into this with either their own money or other people's money thinking it's easy and get hit by a train. Is that something that you see or worry about, or am I just like making things up here? Um, I mean, you could also say, you know, anyone who starts a startup is an idiot because the success rate is, you know, 10%. You know, if, if anything, I would say, I'd go back to some of your previous points where you acquired companies and it didn't work out. You know, sometimes, you know, if you're worried about people buying a company and not working out, um, you know, that's, that's part of the process of like, I've failed so many times to, to be successful at stuff that I do. And I think that's a part of the reason that you're successful. So I mean, yeah, I think people are getting a little, a little fast and, and loose, um, but I don't, I don't think it's a concerning problem to the point where it's like, hey, just buy Bitcoin, like just buy Bitcoin. You know, it could, you know, you can make that sort of argument against any sort of investment, whether it's starting a new business, uh, 
whether it's buying cryptocurrencies, whether it's buying an NFT or something like that, angel investing. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think just the more education that we create where we educate, you know, both buyers and sellers on, you know, how to properly do an acquisition, like what is your plan post acquisition? I think that's how, you know, the market uh, will mature and then will really will grow and bring more opportunities to founders looking. Because what I think is going to happen is, you know, for the past two years, we've just had, you know, let's, let's call it like a hundred P firms that would be willing to buy sub, you know, let's call it 20 million um, uh, businesses. And I think with the right tooling and the right guidance and even through advisory services that we provide within microquare. So you can hire an M&A advisor, you can hire a due diligence expert, you can hire someone for valuations, you can hire an attorney. Um, and I think the more that we, you know, equip people to essentially create their own private equity firms with, you know, all the tools that people kind of like yourself had to put together over, you know, a period of seven years, I think we can reduce that risk. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's always a bad angel investment. There's always a startup that fails. There's always an acquisition that goes south. There's, um, I think it was a founder of, um, uh, Cisco that said, one out of three acquisitions that they would do would uh, fail. So even at the top, you know, so just a disclaimer for people listening to this, acquisitions are hard. You know, they're, they're not easy. Number one, you need the capital. Two, you need to know what you're doing in terms of, if you don't have any experience in SaaS and you're acquiring a bunch of SaaS companies, like it's going to be a big learning curve, but you are kind of skipping over, you know, the product market fit stage. So I always recommend start small, like hopefully like if someone um, acquires a company and it doesn't work out, it's on the smaller end. Um, but candidate opinion, no, I, I don't, I don't see it being an issue. Um, I think, I think the bigger issue is probably, um, just founders selling their companies for, for too cheap um, and using, you know, um, advisory services that charge too much. Um, what's your take on that? Um, that was one of the, <laughs> when you first told me about MicroCard, that was the, the killer feature for me. After you kind of laid out the vision of what you were trying to build, I was like, I don't want to be a broker in five years because the, especially in, in our space with like SaaS and online businesses, they charge hefty fees and I'm not sure they deliver. And I know lots of brokers in this space have done business with lots of brokers. They're good people. It's a reasonable business model, but your business model puts so much power and control in the hands of founders at a way lower price, which can be free, right? Like, is it true you can still list and sell a business on microquire for free? Yeah. Versus charge, a huge charge, percentage. Charge fees. Yeah. So um that um I do think um that is a is a big it will continue to be a big trend that we see. And back to your earlier point, like I guess it it's there's inherently risk in business. We all know this. I just hate seeing people like lose money and and fail when they weren't going into it eyes wide open. 
And, but it's not, that's not my problem to solve. And I think you're right. Like if you're educating people and trying to help people along the path of like, here's the things to do to lower your chances of failure, or at least understand the risks that you're seeing, like, that's all, that's all you can do. And all I can do is like, tell people, here's my experience. Here's some things to look out for. Here's some ways I've failed, like try not to do those things, you know, go invent all new ways to fail, but know that failure is part of the deal when you're, you know, running a business. Um, so yeah, I like, I like your, I like your lens on it. It's just like, that's, that's, the, that's the deal with startups. Like you can't, just high a high risk a high risk deal yeah you know there's there's no i mean the this would be a funner uh longer conversation of just like how to how to de-risk acquisitions um or how to de-risk even launching a startup um you know there's there's so much education out there and i think that's where it really starts is learning from other people's failures and mistakes and i think the more that people share those publicly the more they can help other people not make those same mistakes. Cause a lot of the, the mis mistakes that um, um, I see with startups or, you know, acquisitions, I haven't really heard too many in terms of acquisitions aside from, um, you know, code being awful, had to rebuild, you know, the code base um, stuff like that. But, you know, that stuff being shared, like the common pitfalls of an acquisition Um you know, people can learn from that and then avoid those mistakes. But yeah, with any sort of investment or any sort of, you know, entrepreneurial endeavor, there's a very, very high risk of failure. It's literally, you have, you know, a 10% chance of success starting a business. I would argue your success, your chances of success when acquiring a business is probably higher because you're skipping over, you know, some of the hardest parts like finding customers and product market fit. Um, and then you might be using like, you might budget 50 K and I have friends who, you know, go up to like 150 K and they still aren't there. Um, so probably, probably like a, we could probably talk about that for a while, but I, I get what you're saying in terms of, you know, as the buyer pool increases, not all of them are going to be, you know, as sophisticated and as experienced as yourself. And so at microquire, what we're trying to do is build tools that help with things like, like you have a due diligence team, like other people don't like, what if there was tools for due diligence or what if there was, you know, tools that basically automated, you know, the legal document creation or, you know, allowed you to, you know, find an advisor to help with, you know, the whole process, like when you need it, just to point out any yellow flags you might not be catching. So, um, yeah. Awesome. I think it's a huge service to the whole the industry and you're right, like the, if the chances of failure of a startup are 90%, the chances of failure for an acquisition should be way lower or chances of success be way higher depending on, but, but it's never going to be zero. So oh, the thing no. about an acquisition is like, you still have the, like just life and business is unpredictable and there's inherent risk, but in terms of like wrong price tech blowing up on you team issues that you didn't know about, um, legal issues, you know, the contract things that you, there, there's, there's a relatively, it's not a short list, but there's a list. It's a countable list of things that are the predictable things that go wrong in a business of, you know, a certain size. And, you know, people like you, people like me can share to the world and others, like, here's our take on that list of things. And here's what we look at in our diligence. And here's what we care about in terms of the transition process. And, 
here's the things that we've done wrong so you can learn from them. And, and it is, it is a, versus like a startup is like the universe is so big for like things that you could start. You don't even know where to consider the, the risks, right? Because it depends on the market and the pricing and the customers. And it's just infinite than the number of risks that you're facing um, starting a company, any company. Uh, but an acquisition is a, is a more straightforward thing to consider. And people can get educated if they take the time and energy to do it to lower those risks. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think it'll be interesting to see how, you know, the next, um, uh, this is probably like way this, this, I, I don't even want to talk about this cause it'll, it'll take us down a rabbit hole, but like, are we in a, in a bubble? Like, you know, like if we see an economic downturn, how is that going to affect acquisitions? Um, so that'll be interesting, but well, maybe we'll say we'll save that one for. I don't want to. I want to. I don't want to put an opinion on air where where I think we're at. But uh. I I will tell. I will give give you a prediction here. Like yes, we will see a downturn. We may be in the middle of it right now, middle of February, twenty twenty two, and inherently that means other people people have less cash than they thought they did forty five days ago, and that may sort of slow acquisitions or reduce prices people are willing to pay but it is not gonna it is not like your activity your market andrew is uh not you're never immune to the macroeconomic trends but like i think you're pretty well isolated and our, my market like i don't really care what the, the the worldwide economy does like there's so there's hundreds of thousands of startups out there who want to eventually be acquired there's still way more than enough money in the system to go acquire those businesses, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't sweat it if I'm you or if I'm me or if I'm a startup looking to get acquired in the next, you know, one to two years. You know, I I have like one data point that I'll I'll share is um when I launched Microcore, it was like two months before the pandemic started, and then when the pandemic started, that's when we really started to like. I didn't, and I couldn't figure it out. I was like, what's going on? And I think it was because people were trying to buy alternative assets rather than like the stock market was cratering. Um, even Bitcoin was cratering, which was weird because the whole point of Bitcoin was when, when the world correlated. Yeah. So um, <laughs> we'll, we'll just, we'll, we'll, maybe we'll revisit this on another podcast. And well, see it'd be <laughs> interesting because like that, the timing, like you were relatively new. Some of that takeoff that you're describing might have just been the world figuring out that microacquire is out there. So it'll be interesting to see with a longer lens, like over a period of, you know, now what it's been two years in, you know, five years, 10 years, you're going to see multiple cycles, big and small. And I, I think that same thing is always true. Like when the stocks tank, people want alternative assets, but it was also such a dramatic event in the economy and so new in microacquires existence, like you, you want, I, I, you, it's hard to like directly predict like, okay, this means that, you know what I mean? Yeah. I like, wouldn't bet. I wouldn't bet on it. I was just saying yeah. it, 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 there, what's the term correlation does not mean causation. causation. Yeah. yeah. It was just something interesting. It could have been just, you know, I don't know, March was the month or yeah. Or whatever maybe but i i just i do remember it and i do think about it sometimes like huh 
if the market goes down, um, obviously start evaluations go down and then there's buyers with dry powder. Does that increase acquisitions, decrease acquisitions? Um, I'm sure I could, you know, probably do an analogy with homes or something like that. Um, but we'll just have to wait and see, but I got, um, three more questions for you and then I'll let you go. Does that sound cool? Right. Yeah. Let it rip. All right. Favorite book. Favorite book. Um, the, the two that came to mind, I feel like, I don't know if they're actually my favorites, but the two that came to mind are The Alchemist by Paolo Coelho. And that's not, you know, it's not a business book. It's more of a life book. Um, and one that you can read over and over again and it, you, you learn something each time. And then as a, uh, as a founder and CEO, one of my favorite, most memorable books is um, Let My People Go Surfing by, um, I don't know the right way to pronounce his name. He's the, the founder of Patagonia. And mm. that's a company that just thinks a little bit differently, does things differently. And it's the history of the company and a view inside their culture and a view inside the mind of like a really interesting, cool founder who you could tell from the beginning, it was like, yeah, we sell, sell clothes and gear, but it's about our people and the culture that, that this guy, Yvonne Chouinard, I think is how you pronounce it, but I'm not sure. So those are the two first two books that came to mind. Nice. Who is uh, an entrepreneur that uh, you admire and respect? And it can't be Elon Musk because everyone says Elon Musk. I never would. You could ask me to list 20 and I, I wouldn't get to Elon Musk. Not that he's not a super smart and super successful guy. He's just not, um, wouldn't be on my top 20 list. Um, maybe that's controversial, but yeah. Um, that's definitely. <laughs> <laughs> let's call it a nonconformist. Yeah, um, You're a contrarian. So, I'm a contrarian. Thank you. Um, that's hard. I, 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 I kind of feel like I admire almost all entrepreneurs, not that, not that all are good, like good humans or nice, nice people, but like just the, the guts to try to do something and invent something out of nothing and like create jobs for other people. Um, man, that's really, I feel like I should have a, uh, like a Mount Rushmore of like the four people that I admire most. Um, Michael Jordan. Tom Brady, Babe Ruth. <laughs> Your all sports Mount Rushmore. Um, I don't know. Sorry. I wish I had a better answer for that, man. I just. Um, there's room for everybody. That's a good answer, man. There's room, yeah, there's room for everybody. And on it, like. I, I'm not going to lie. That's my answer. I'm like. And, and you know, like there, there's a woman who just, who, who is in my hometown of Minneapolis she runs a really amazing, um, let, let me, I'll, I'll give you her name. Her name's Heather Manley. Nobody's, nobody outside of Minneapolis has probably ever heard of her. She has an amazing IT firm. I got to meet her and hear her story. Um, she's built an amazing business. She's a good human. Everybody loves her. She's just started a liquor brand called the Crooked Water. And that is also amazing. And she's got a third business that she's starting that is in a completely different vertical. I think it's a restaurant. Yeah. She, I think she and her family started a restaurant and like, that is also amazing. And so like, she's a repeat entrepreneur. She's a good human. I don't think we celebrate female entrepreneurs enough in this country. I would agree. Um, and so, and the, the reason why that like sparked a thought in my brain is that like, you don't have to be rich and famous to be 
a successful, admirable entrepreneur. Like, I think she's pretty well off. People around here knows who, who she is, but I would never expect you to know who she is. Like, I love people like that. It's just like doing it, building great business, not doing it for fame or glory, just doing it for the love of the work and to create jobs for people and to put something awesome out into the world. Like there's a hundred thousand of those people right now, just like slugging it out. And, and th those are the people that I, and that's part of why like glorifying Elon Musk, I'm just over it. Like great company, like Tesla. Cool. I wish I had one, but like, can we talk about other people for a little bit? You know, that's my, that's my, my beef with Elon. Yeah. Well, he is, um, He'll put you on Mars one day. <laughs> I don't want to go. That's another thing. Like, cool science project, bro. But like, I'm not interested. I'm, I'm, I'm not going either. On a, I'm not on a going. planet where you can be outside. I like Earth. So I'm good. good. I'm yeah. good. Uh, everyone in my neighborhood drives a Tesla. It feels like every house <laughs> came with a Tesla, and I don't have a Tesla. Um, yeah. uh, but but this has been a wonderful conversation, Kevin. And again, I'm. Uh, a huge supporter of everything that you do for founders and um, all the education you put out to founders. And um, it, it, it's it literally, I, I think I've told you this, but when I launched my group where you were one of the first to publicly um, support it on Twitter and it meant a lot to me. And well, it, it was just authentic, man. I love what you're doing. Um, that was, that was two years ago. Yeah. Um, I can't, it, it feels like five to me, honestly, like the progress like that you and your team to have me, made, man. it's amazing. I love those tweets. We put a couple in our newsletters to our, just our newsletter list and to our investors. Like it's like once a month, you're like, Oh, Hey, it's uh, we've listed this many businesses, this many exits for this much dollars. Happy Tuesday. Like, I love that. <laughs> just like, and every month it's like bang, bing, bing, getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and, and I think you and I know, like, the numbers are mind blowing and it's still just the tip of the iceberg. Like it's, yeah. there, there's so much uh, room for, for you all to grow, for us to grow, for startups to exist and be acquired. And like, it's just a, it's an exciting time, man. And I, I love what you, you all are doing. And you know, it's a, it's an honor to be here and talk with you and chat about it. It's really fun. Yeah. Likewise. Well, Kevin, I, I appreciate you and um, definitely please tell the whole team at uh, sure Swift. Um, they're awesome. And I, I appreciate all of them. And uh, I guess final question, um, if people want to get a hold of you for, you know, advice, maybe they're looking to sell their business, um, what's the best way to, to get, in hold, get, in, uh, get, in, get in contact with you? Yeah, two ways. So um, I love chatting with people on Twitter. Uh, you know that. So it's Kevin underscore McArdle and McArdle only has one A, not two, or sorry, one C, not two. We'll put that or, in the show notes. Yeah. Too. Or um, sign up for our newsletter. It's called the Founder Squad you know, hit our website, you'll get a pop-up. And we, um, we put stuff out to anybody on our list once a month. And it's usually tips, links, things we're learning, you know, from others and things we want to teach people. And that's the best conduit to just like get a steady, slow drip of like, this is sure swift. So either of those ways. Right on. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate you uh, hopping on this podcast with me and um, I'm rooting for you, man. I think it's going to be a big year for you. Likewise. I'm excited for both of us. All right, cheers, dude. Thanks for listening to this episode of the SaaS Acquisition Stories podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, make sure to like and follow on your preferred channel. And if you know a friend or colleague that would benefit from hearing this conversation, please share it with them. For more information on MicroAcquire and how we can help you start conversations that lead to an acquisition in just 30 days, check us out at microacquire.com. We'll see you next time.